The overarching theme is this. We've been talking about this for a few weeks, but this has been the overarching theme. What does God's Word have to say about the issue of money and finances? Now, we don't like that, do we? We don't like people getting up in our business. We don't like to really talk about money because um, we're probably not all wise stewards of what God has given us. But there's a lot of truths that are involved. And the reason that we're talking about the subject of money and possessions is God's Word has an awful lot to say about those issues. And if we're believers, if there are are those of us that are in this room that call ourselves Christ's followers, it's really important to see, okay, what, what does God's Word have to say and how do I in turn do the best that I can under the leadership of the Lord to try to apply those principles to my life? Um, because here's, here's, a, here's a thought for you. If we don't give Him control of this area of our life, you're going to continue to wonder regardless of how much money you make, what kind of house you live in, what kind of car you drive, what kind of friends you have, you're going to continue to struggle. So far as we've walked through this issue of money, we've, we've talked about the bottom line. And what's the bottom line? The bottom line is what? God owns it what? No, he just owns a part. He owns the part that you take and you give him, right? The 10%. No, he owns it all regardless of what you think. And as the owner, he does what? He distributes as he pleases. Now, to whom he pleases, when he pleases, and how much he pleases. Now, we might not think that's fair, but that's just the way it is, guys. That's it. We've also went back and we've talked about the fact that it's not how much we have, but what are we doing with what we have? Then we took a look at maybe some of the views, that God, how God may view our possessions and resources. And we said, number one, it was a tool. Our possessions, the resources that God has blessed us with, that he expects us to steward, is an opportunity for us to be able to extend the gospel. It's a tool. It's not something to hold on to. Remember we talked about a reservoir, something to hold on to, or a river. It's something that flows through. It's not about holding on to. And then we went back and we looked at God views our, he views our resources as not only a tool, but also a test. And we asked the question here, says, um, you know, if, if, if you can't be faithful in the small things, in the little things that I'm given, you're not going to be faithful in the large things. So it's like a test. I'm going to see if you just, like God's standing over the corner, see, just going to see what you're going to do. Are you going to be faithful or not? It's a trademark. And in Christianity, we treat Christianity a trademark. We think, Steve, wearing a, a necklace around our neck is a trademark of a Christian or toting a Bible or Marty, if we, if we, uh, if we happen to, to be in church so many times a week or if we give a check that's a certain size, that's a trademark of, of being a Christian. And, and what, what we learn in scriptures, no, if you want to know what a, a trademark of a true believer is, it's how you handle and utilize the resources that God has given you. We learned that last, last week. But today what we're going to do is we're going to look at another parable and we're going to ask the question probably that is <laughs> it's not the most popular question. It's probably a question that you've never even asked yourself before because inside of our culture it's totally opposite of what culture says. Um, and this is the question. Why do I have so much? Why do I have so much? You guys say, Much? I don't have much. Have you been to my house and looked in my refrigerator? Have you looked at the kind of car that I drive? Do you, do you, do you see the kind of clothes that I wear? Do you, do you know how far back in the bills that I am? And you're talking about I've got much? 
Every one of us in this room that I see that I'm looking at is rich according to the world's standards. Every one of us in this room, unless there's something that I'm missing, every one of us in this room is rich. A half of our world lives on less than $2 a day. More than half of the world in which we live lives on less than $2 a day. In Nicaragua, where we were, 80% of the people live on less than $2 a day. Uh, Brian and I have friends that are getting ready to adopt children from Uganda. In Uganda, 97% of the people live on less than $2 a day. In Haiti, 60% plus of the people live on less than $1 a day. Even in here in America... 1.5 million families live on less than $2 a day, yet we call it the the place of prosperity. You know, it's the American American dream. So for us to, to ask the question, why do we have so much? No, we ask the question, why don't I have what? More. God, why don't I have more? See, the issue isn't with God's resources. The the issue is with distribution of God's resources. Because God's already given us everything that we need to be able to do life. He's already given us everything that we need to take care of ourselves. The problem isn't with the resources. The problem is the distribution of those resources. Now, to say that, I want to say this. Probably every one of us in this room has had a time in our life when you've had a question. There's something that you wanted to you wanted to ask, and there was maybe something that was burning inside of you, um, and, and you, you wanted somebody to talk to. Maybe even, maybe even you even called an appointment, and you said, listen, can I just sit down and talk to you? Maybe you raised your hand in class. Um, today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a story in a passage of Scripture where this guy calls out to Jesus in the midst of the crowd, and he asks him a question. And what we're going to do is we're going to hear Jesus' response to that question. And this is what I want to say in reference to finances. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, every one of us, every one of us in this room is going to hear something today if you're willing to listen. Because I know, I know God wants to speak to us today. And so we're going to take and we're going to go to the, to the New Testament again. And we're going, to, we're going to go back to the book of Luke in the New Testament, the second half. And we're going to look and see... Um, see what Jesus has to say in reference to a question that was asked. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. And, and what I want to do is give you a little bit of a picture first before we talk about this, because this is what's going on. Remember in, in the Gospels, there's a lot of times, especially right there around the last three years of Jesus's, of, of, his, of his life here on earth as we know it before um, he was crucified and resurrected to heaven. There were the religious leaders, the Pharisees, that were always trying to press him and trick him. So they were constantly following, throwing out all kinds of questions. And and so this is going on, and as this is taking place here within this scene, there happens to be a, a large crowd that begins to gather. And so many people begin to gather. The Bible says it uses it uses the numerology of thousands. So it's almost like a rock concert. There are thousands of people that are crammed into an area. There are no microphones. There are no sound systems. And here Jesus is assembled in this place. And the people are they're so packed in together, they're stepping on top of one another. Anybody ever been to a place like that? And you're like, man, get off of me. That's one of the reasons I don't like going to theme parks. I don't like, I don't like being close to people. Man, I like to have my space. Big people like space. <laughs> 
So they're crammed into this place, and here's a guy that that's, has a question, and he's, he's throwing up his hand. It's like the president. You guys ever seen the president? Mr. President, uh, you know, and, and all these people, Mr. President, click, 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 click. Uh, yes, John, can I have your question? And so this guy in the middle of all these questions raises his hand, screams out, whatever it is, and Jesus hears him, and listen to hear what takes place in verse 13 of Luke chapter 12. And this is what it says. Someone called out from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. All right, now here's a pretty simple story, guy, uh, guys. The, the guy's dad had died. His brother was given his, his, uh, uh, his inheritance. And here's another brother, brother saying, I got ripped off. Now, none of you have ever felt that way, right? You've never, you, maybe you felt that, you just never said that. Listen, families are destroyed every day because of issues like this. And so here's this guy that feels like he's been taken advantage of, and he says, Jesus, I need you to answer something for me. Now, of all the questions, why in the world was this the question that Jesus decided to answer? But for some reason, Jesus chose this question. And let's see how Jesus responded. Look at what he said. Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? That's not my business. Who made me the arbitrator? Why are you bringing that question to me? Jesus, I think, wanted him to answer the question because there was something else that Jesus wanted to teach the people that were sitting there. Because the people I imagine that were sitting in the crowd that day were what they considered to be rich people that had more than what they needed. And look at what he says. Because Jesus answers his question with a statement. Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Here's the guy asking Jesus a question, and it looks like Jesus has changed the subject. And the guy's probably thinking to himself, okay, listen, I really don't know where that that answer came up. Uh, uh, Jesus, I I don't really have a problem with greed. Um, I just want my fair share. It's important to understand because greed is hard to see, isn't it? It's hard to recognize. Now, we'll say, Oh, well, I have an anger problem. Or I have a hard time getting along with people. But greed is something that's very difficult to see. And the words here used are beware. In the King James Version, it says take heed, meaning open your eyes, be on guard. It can creep up on you. Have you guys ever played hide and seek? Boo, I got you. Greed is one of those things that can sort of sneak right up. And before you know it, all of a sudden it's got you. And it's got its arms all wrapped around you. And this guy was probably saying, look, Jesus, I'm not greedy. I'm just a saver. I'm just a good money manager. I'm just careful with my spending. He probably said something like this. I'm glad I'm not like that type of person. You ever said that? I'm glad I don't have those type of problems. And you're totally missing out on what you got going on in your own life. You ever said that? And Jesus makes a defining statement, and look at what he says at the end of verse 15. Life is not measured by how much much you own. In other words, the measuring stick for success or accomplishment isn't how much we have or we possess. And this is such an important statement because how many of us are driven emotionally by that main issue? How many of us in here, our value or our worth is based on what kind of car we're driving? 
How many of us have fallen into the trap that our value or our worth is based on how much money we have in our bank account? How many of us in this room are driven by the issue of accumulation? And Jesus cuts it all down and he hits at something that's tremendously emotional for us. Because it's something that drives us culturally. And it's easy for us to slip into that mindset that everything revolves around wealth and possessions. I heard somebody say this the other day. You know, to make it in church, the only thing you've got to have is a little bit of cash in your pocket. Because if you've got cash in your pocket, if you've got money in your pocket, you can get whatever you want. And he goes on to share the parable, and I want you to look and see what Jesus said. He teaches them beginning in verse 16. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. The guy happened to be a farmer. Jesus is telling this story. Um, and, and he produced a fine crop. Now, for some of us, farming is an option. We got these little urban farms that are popping up all, all over the place. Brian called me yesterday. He says, hey, man, I wonder if my little plot back here in the back, I can use it as a, as a garden. And I thought, take one step at a time, baby. One step at a time. It's work. It's hard. But this guy right here has a plot of land according to the story. Um, and see, some places farming isn't an option. It's a necessity. You don't have a farm, you don't eat. Growing up, my family, my father's family, um, if they didn't farm, they didn't eat. Everything that they ate came off the farm, on that little bitty small farm that they had. Everything, except for a few staples like salt. Um, there was a few other things that I remember they told me one, one time, but everything else they had, whether it was the grits that came from the corn that they made, whether it was the sausage or the hams that came off the hogs or the steaks, if they had steak, it came off cattle that they raised. It was the fruit that came off the trees, the pecans, or it was the vegetables that came out of the garden, or it was the, the orange trees. or it was, it was all came off the garden, and the only thing they had to buy was staple items to survive. So you got this story where this guy has, has done really well. Um, matter of fact, harvest time has come and everything is just overflowing. And I've had those times where, man, the harvest was just busting out of the seams. And, and when, when the harvest is busting out of the seams, you've got to make some decisions, right? What am I going to do with the extra that I have? How am I going to treat that? What am I going to do? I mean, am I going to keep the extra to myself or am I going to give it away? Because the reality here was the guy had more than he needed. He just had to make a decision what he was going to do. And look at what he says in verse 17. And he says to, him, I, and he says to himself, what, what should I do? I don't have enough room for all of my crops. In other, words, in other words, I've done pretty well here. And here is a key thing, and I want you to underline what he says. Whose crops? Whose crops? Take us back to the bottom line. Whose is it? Forgot that. Already off the bat, he's forgotten. I mean, have you ever forgotten whose, whose resources you, you hold on to? Whose are they? We don't like saying that, do we? See, we like to think because it's, it's because of my smarts, it's because of my intelligence, it's because of my position, it's because, you know, it's all these things that we come up, it's because of my. Do you ever realize the Bible says that, that he created it all? 
It's his. Where in the world do you think you came up with the drive to get the job? Where do you think you came up with the ability? Where do you think you came up with that break from? Yet it's all about me. He's already forgotten the bottom line. And he was probably making this comment in the story. I mean, you can sort of picture. He was probably making this statement in front of a bunch of farmers who had just had a bad year. Can you see that? Guy's talking around, I just had a bad year. Well, you know, <clears throat> had a pretty good year this year. Matter of fact, overflowing. <laughs> Don't have enough place to put them. My crops. What's he going to do? Then he assumed the same thing that most of us assume. That that little bit of extra that he had been given, that more, the overflow, the abundance, this is what he assumed. It was all about him. It was his. It was mine. The reason I've got extra is because it's for, for me. How many of you have noticed how many storage facilities have gone up these days? Now, I don't want, some of you may have stocks in, in storage facilities. You may own a storage facility. I'm sorry. Storage facilities started in the 1960s. Really, they go all the way back to China, if you want to do some research on them, olden days. But as we know it, within our culture, they really started back in the 60s because of an overabundance. Now, I'm not going to ask you, for everybody in here that has a storage unit, would you please stand? That would probably not be right. <laughs> but why do we have storage units to store junk that we don't even use? Why do we have storage units to pay money for something that we may not ever, you know, let's not even go there. We even have storage units that have air conditioning in these days. And you can, pay a fa you can pay a fair turn the air conditioner probably down as far as you want to. That might be a better place for us to go sleep, wouldn't it? Because how many of us monitor our air conditioners these days because you're afraid the bill's going to go up? But the rich guy ponders, what's he going to do with all of his extra? And he sits down and he comes up with his plan. And look at what he says in verse 18. Then he said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns that I have that house all of the stuff that I presently have and is big enough for that. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to tear those barns down and I'm going to build some bigger barns. Not because I've got termites in them. But the reason I'm going to tear them down is because I, got a, I need another place to store my stuff. Then I'll have enough room to store all of my wheat and other goods. And he says, I know what I'm going to do. Since the barns I have aren't big enough, what I'm going to do is tear them down and build bigger ones. And then I'll be able to store my stuff. I'm going to create some extra space so that I can increase my wealth. I mean, that's the goal, isn't it? Isn't that the goal? I mean... Guys, you've got to get gut-level honest. I mean, isn't that the goal for most of us? Isn't that what cultural pushes us to, to accumulate as much as we can? I mean, so he's got a plan. He's going to create more space to hold the extra so that he can increase his wealth. Accumulate. That's what most of us are shooting for. I mean, isn't that why you read the books that you read? Or isn't that why you hang out with who you hang out with? Isn't that why you make the investments that you make? That's the goal. And he goes on to say this, that after I've carried out all of my plans, he said in verse 19, I'm going to sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now just take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. It's like saying, boy, I'm sure glad I got that taken care of. Now I can live the way I want to live. I can put, prop my feet up and I can watch ESPN the rest of the time. 
God's got a plan, but he's got a problem too. See, he had planned, but the problem was this. He didn't plan far enough out. He planned to take care of that which was temporary, but he made no provisions for the eternal. None. None at all. The assumption... Since I've got all my stuff taken care of, I've got plenty of time. Since I've stored up all that I'm going to need, if I live to be 95, since I've got it stored up, I'm okay. Even if the storms come, even if the drought comes, I've got it covered. And if we were there to ask the rich man why he had so much, he would have responded, I have enough so that I, if something happens, I'll be covered. Seems logical, doesn't it? I mean, I've got so much. Whatever takes place, i got it covered, baby. <clears throat> we were coming back from vacation. Saw a sign. Shrimp, $4. I've been watching that sign. Meredith told me about it earlier. <laughs> I'm going to stop and get myself some shrimp. I'm going to get me some scrimps and I'm going to bring them back. I'm going to have it covered. I'm going to buy 10 pounds, 40 bucks. It's a good investment, isn't it? I'm going to give some to some people that I like an awful lot. So if you didn't get some, I don't like you. And I'm going to keep the rest for myself. I'm going to do the Jesus thing. I'm going to tithe, okay? I'm going to tithe a little bit. So I... I, I, uh, I give a couple of bags away. I, that's generously, a couple of bags. And I kept the rest for myself. And I said to myself, I am covered. I'm, man, listen, I'm going to be eating shrimp for the next six months. <laughs> Meredith calls me the other day. <laughs> and I'm someplace and I thought, baby, I'm, just hold on. I'll call you back. So when I call her back, she says this to me. She goes, I don't know who did it, but somebody left the freezer door open and everything in the freezer is ruined and it's all over the floor in the, gar- in the, in the garage and it smells like shrimp. <laughs> and I thought to myself, oh, dear Jesus, there went us. Our garage smelled. I was out on my hands and knees trying to scrub up shrimp smell. I was, okay, what do I do? You know, I'm trying to get that shrimp. Meredith says, I think I'm going to die. It's, it's, it's terrible. I don't know if you smelled rotten shrimp before, but it was, it was terrible. I didn't even get a chance to eat not one of my shrimp. I got a chance to eat some of Bill's that I'd given Bill, but I didn't get any of mine. John and Sheila, you got to eat some shrimp, didn't you? But I didn't get to eat any of the others I had left over. It was gone. When I was digging them all out, Mary, I said, what would you do? She said, I just shut the freezer door. She said, I just thought, gosh, I can't stand this. And she shut the freezer door. So when I got there, I had all these rotten, nasty shrimp. And I thought to myself, I ain't throwing them away. I'm going to save them. I'm going to save them to fish with or something. That's what you do. I cleaned them all off, put them in the bag. Yeah, I'm not going to waste my finances like that. So if you need some shrimp to go fishing with, come see me and I'll sell you some. I got to make my profit back. It's tough. 
But every one of us have got a story where we saved up for a rainy day with plans. We saved up for retirement. We've saved up for difficulty. But things don't always work out the way that we plan, do they? You know, I was with a couple this past week, and the story was they just moved into the area. They'd saved all their life, got all their resources together, moved here. Before they could get the box unpacked, she started having some difficulties, went to the, went to the, uh, went to the doctor, found out she had some issues, went, um, had some tests done, and I got the phone call today that she's eat up with cancer. Saved all their life. Planned. Accumulated. Followed the plan. Plans don't always work out the way we intend for them to work out. Verse 20, what did, what did God say? God said, God said to the rich guy, you fool, for you will die this very night. And let me ask you a question. When you die, who gets what you've worked for? Somebody else does. If you've got a pile of stuff that you've accumulated, when you die, somebody else is going to take over the possession of those resources. No matter how much, how hard you've worked, it doesn't matter how much you've planned, it doesn't matter if you followed through with your plan. Listen, we don't know how much time we've got left. The result is this when we die, somebody else gets our stuff. And it won't be because they get your stuff because you've been generous. They'll get your stuff by default. How many times do we make the mistake of thinking that we're large and we're in charge and we got our schedule and we've got our plan and we've got our calendar, yet things don't go the way that we want? Verse 21. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. And see, this is what I think we can learn from this parable what happened to this guy because it's something that can happen to every one of us it's easy to store up stuff here to work on those things that are temporary and totally miss out on those things that are eternal it's easy to focus on ourselves and forget about the relationship with God it's easy for us to focus on being rich in this world, yet miss out on being rich towards God. Down in verse 31, if you go down a little bit further, Jesus defines what it means rich, being rich towards God, because that's probably a question we all need to ask ourselves. And Jesus defines what it means to be rich towards God. And you can go home and read it, but here it is in the nutshell. To be rich towards God is to give what you don't need to those who are in need. Um, because when we are blessed with more than you need, it's to be shared with those in need. To be rich towards God is to say, okay, here's what I need, and then here's the extra. How do I take the extra that I don't need and put it into a place that it pleases my Heavenly Father? Because if I'm a steward of His resources, how do I live in such a way that the extra that I have, the resources, I want to bless and I want to, I want to give as my, Father would, my Heavenly Father would have me to give? And so how do I, in that giving, how do I use those resources that my Heavenly Father is pleased? And how do I use that giving of those resources to help extend the gospel? 
the problem wasn't that the man had more than he needed. Being having more is not an issue. I'm not saying having a, things that are nice it is an issue. I'm not saying that having a new home or a bigger home. Or, I'm not saying that's the issue. Having extra is not the issue. It wasn't with the fact that the guy had a plan. The problem was he missed out on an opportunity to be rich towards God. And it was, as a result, everything else that he had was lost. The things that he valued the most was lost. He not only lost those things that he valued, but also he lost in eternity as well. And what Jesus is saying to us is how do we take the resources that he's blessed us with and how do we use them in such a way that we invest them in things that are close to the heart of God. Because somehow, in the midst of that, when we use those resources, it's like God says, that's what I'm talking about. Ding! And he rings up something in your heavenly account. This is tough to discuss this type of stuff in reference and in light of the culture that we live. But what if this story were just were the framework with how we saw and how we did our resources and the finances that we have? What if we looked intentionally towards ways that we could be rich towards God? I mean, what if that were on our mind daily? That, 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 that your resources that you've been blessed with, you were constantly looking for ways to ring up your heavenly account. To bring pleasure to your heavenly Father. What if it was just instinctive? What if we didn't think about it? We just did it. But that's not the way we do things. Got a phone call the other day for some friends of ours that are senior adults that uh, have been wanting to move back to Tennessee for several years. And in the midst of that, um, they have really, really struggled. Because they haven't been able to sell their house and the downturn in the market has just been tough. And I didn't know, but I, they called me the other day and I ended up learning a little bit more about their story because Bruce had gotten really sick. And when they were the doctors here, they basically told him, listen, you don't have an awful lot of time to live. And so they took him back up to Tennessee where his home doctors were. They knew his history and he saw his doctor and probably about a year ago. The guy, doctor looked at him and said, listen, Bruce, you ain't going to die, brother. Your heart's as strong. As, I mean, you're as strong as an ox. You just need to start living. Smile. Get over it. And she said he, it's like he came out of a funk, and, and all of a sudden things begin to go well with him. And, and he called. Uh, they came back to Florida um, trying to sell the house that they were in. And uh, they called their pastor back home. He was a minister, minister of music for many, many years, 25, 30 years in the same place. And he called the pastor. He said, listen, man, can you guys be praying for me? Because he said, we really want to move back, but we can't sell our place here. It's such a struggle. And we can't afford to move back. And the pastor said, listen, man, we'll begin praying for you. And so they began praying. <laughs> finally, finally, one day, uh, the pastor said, I've had enough of this. I've had enough. I'm not going to do this any longer. And... Uh, he calls Bruce, and he said, Bruce, he said, um, I need to know, do you want a furnished home or unfurnished home? He said, what are you talking about? He said, well, I got tired of praying, and I told my people it was time to shut up and put up. <laughs> and he said, I looked him in the middle of the eyes one Sunday, and I said, listen, 
God has blessed this congregation with resources, and some of you, I don't know who's sitting on them, but somebody's sitting on some resources that God wants to use, and it's time for you to get off because we've got a man over here that loves the Lord, that invested how many years of his life here at this church right here, and God has already put it on your heart, but you've not just come forward. It's time to quit praying and start sharing. He had two people come up to him and said, I got a home. I got a home. One's furnished, one's unfurnished. And Bruce said, but I can't, I, can't, I can't pay. And he said, oh, Bruce, this isn't pay, honey. He said, baby, this is free. And he says, you come here and you stay. They've offered this home for you to stay until, until your home sells. He said, it could be a year, two years, three years. They said, it's here. It's here. And he was telling me that story as I went over to see him as they were getting ready to leave the other day. But see, this is how we do our finances. Let's just say I got a couple of cookies. Ron's real hungry. <clears throat> I'm eating on my cookies, and I like cookies, especially chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> and Ron's looking at me, and I know that Ron hadn't had breakfast. Matter of fact, I even, Ron, Ron you had any breakfast? No, I ain't breakfast. Got these cookies. Ron's looking at me, he's licking his lips, and I'm eating them. I said, boy, Ron, this is really good, man. I, I wish, and I'm like, oh, I got two of them. And now look at Ron and look at my cookies. You ever done that? <laughs> There's a moment of decision, isn't it? <clears throat> looking at Ron, looking at my cookies. And this is what I say to Ron. Ron, dad gummit, God's a provider. Man, they teach us that in church all the time. Ron, I'm going to pray for you, buddy. <laughs> Dear Jesus, Ron is really hurting today. He hadn't had any breakfast. And God, I thank you that you're such a provider, that you provided so much for me. Thank you, Jesus, for being a provider. And dear Jesus, I know that you're going to provide for Ron. Please send him somebody his way that's willing enough to share. In Jesus' name, amen. Take another bite. See, we laugh, but it's funny. But it ain't funny, is it? Because isn't that how we do it? How many of us have extra stuff that we know could be used by somebody else, yet we've still got it in our garages, we've got it in our storage facilities, or in our bank accounts, or in our retirement accounts, or in, up underneath a garage someplace, because we're unwilling to part with it. We don't want to part. But how many times do we act like that and God is saying, Stop praying! Would you stop? Just quit praying. You're being religious. What did Jesus say when He looked at the Pharisees? He saw through their religiousness, religiosity, and what did He say? Their hearts were really after what? Money. 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 Matthew 6.24. This is what we said. We'll read it. I'll read it for you again. No one can serve two masters. There's only one, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. God says either you're going to be number one or I'm going to be number one. But he gets a lot more specific. And look at what he says in reference to who the battle is against. He says you cannot serve both God and money. He didn't say the competition was against God and Satan. He said the competition was between God being in first place or money being in first place. That's not what I said. That's what it says right here in the Scriptures. God said either I'm going to be at the top of the list as it relates to your personal finances or you're going to be at the top. 
God says either I'm going to be master or you're going to be master. It's not just about your prayer life. It's not just about showing up in church on Sunday morning. See, those are the easy things. Where it becomes very difficult when he says, listen, it's your finances. Put me first in your finances because who gave it to you to start off with? Down at verse 30, uh, 31, he says, Don't worry about these things saying, What will we eat? What are we going to drink? What about what we'll wear? Jesus says, Why in the world are we so worried about stuff? You're so worried about the stuff that you've moved me off of the top of the list and you've put yourself there. And 32, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. The people who don't even believe in God have that priority list, guys. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs. And He tells us to do this right here in verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Seek what? The kingdom of God. The things of eternal value. The things that are farther down the line than what we can see. Above all else, seek God first and live righteously. And then what will happen? He will give us everything that we need. See, if, you, if you're worried about the resources that you have, if you're worried about where you are, He tells us what to do. Seek me first. Put me first. Put me first above all else. Live righteously. And I'll bless you. I'll take care of you. See, God's plan isn't about getting rich. But it's about reprioritizing our lives in such a way that He knows He's first. It's faith in action. I remember when the professor told me when we were starting Heritage, and I, was, I, I still to this day don't know who he was as far as a face, but I remember what he told me as I expressed my concerns over financing and taking care of my family. And he said this, you do not understand the blessings of God until you step out and you obey God by faith. And he said, you've heard about the great things of God. You may have even seen the great things of God. But all of a sudden, it's fixing to become very personable. It's fixing to come personal. Because all of a sudden, when you step out, God shows up. When you step out, God shows up. Even when it's not logical, when you trust God, He shows up and things change. For those of us that are believers in this room today, take notice. And let me say this. It's not about the amount that you give. I wish I had time to talk about percentages and things, but I'm not going to do that today. I do want to tell you this on September the 2nd, which is Labor Day weekend, which is a terrible time to do this. But Randy has that time available. He's going to speak to us that morning, and he's going to answer some of our questions that you may have in reference to finances. And this is a family that's coming together trying to look, see if there's anybody that has it all together in here. You may have a financial question. Um, we're not going to be able to answer all questions, but we're going to talk about a lot of practicalities that day on Labor Day weekend. If you have a question that you would like to ask, we're going to answer some of those questions that, that Sunday morning, Labor Day Sunday. If you would email myself or Brian with those questions, what we're going to do is we're in the midst of that 
that service in reference to finances, in reference to God's word, we're going to try to answer your questions. But believers, let me say this right here. It's time to stop praying and start acting. Don't want to say. For those of us that call ourselves believers, it's time to stop praying and start acting. Realigning our lives so that if we say that he's the priority, that it's evident that he's the priority. I don't like talking about finances because I wish our finances were all together. Have we been blessed? Yes, we've been blessed. But it, the, what bothers me is, is, is I, as I look, we could do more. When you go to other places where they have less and you see how they use and have to steward those resources and we come back here, the only thing I can think about is how much we do waste because we waste a lot. For non-believers, listen, it's not in sharing our resources that gets to heaven. You can give all you want to. I mean, you can be the best giver there is, but it's not because of our giving that we get to heaven. What gets us to heaven is when we profess Christ and we choose to trust him. It's one step at a time. Today, if you don't know him, what is it that keeps you from making the most important decision? Seek him first. Seek him first, acknowledge him, and then he'll give us everything. It's a couple of specific needs that I know right now, and I wish we could address all of these. I know, Steve, there was a fire. Tell me more about that. You know anything about that? Stand up, please. Becky died and posted on the city that one of her co-workers, uh, there was a house fire last Monday night, and they lost everything. The ages of that there was one that was in nine two, and two, nine and two. Um, if you would like to be a help, Steve, I know Steve has sort of been a, port per, a point person with that. If you'll see Steve, uh, Cliff Whitman uh, texted me this morning. They have uh, have uh, taken in a family member that's now living with them, and uh, they're in, in need of some furniture for a young girl's uh, bedroom that's about 14, 15 years old. And so if you're here today and you have some resources that would help them uh, help outfit that, they need a bed, they need a dresser, and you're like going, man, I got one in storage. It's just been sitting there. I've been wondering what to do with it. Uh, see Cliff. Cliff, raise your hand. There's Cliff right there. He said, listen, I've been able to try to get a room ready, but I just don't have the furniture. If somebody's here that can help me, please let me know. There are multitudes of needs, guys, around this room. There's some of you probably in here that can't even pay your bills. Um, we're not here to try to get all up in your business. But anything that we can do to try to walk alongside you and help you, we want to do that. Um, I, I just share this, and I'll close. I didn't share this up front, but I, I feel like I need to go back. There's a myth that if I don't need to save, that God will take care of me. I don't need to save. God will just take care of me. 
Proverbs 21.20 says this, The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they have. In other words, the wise man, the wise saves, but the foolish spends it all. The wise man understands God's provision, but they also understand the responsibility and restraint. I'm just glad to be part of a, a body of believers that don't have it all together. We're working together, taking one step at a time. But it all starts with your relationship with God. So if you don't know him today, man, come see me because I'd love to talk to you. If you've never followed through in believer's baptism, I'd love to be able to talk to you what it's like to proclaim Christ to the nations and what it's like to let other people know that you want to follow Jesus. Most of the time we're afraid. Some of us are afraid. We want to be silent believers because we're afraid we might mess up. Listen, all of us mess up. Thank you, Lord, for your covering of your grace. Our goal is how do we live in such a way, though, that we please, we bring pleasure to our Heavenly Father. Because if we live the way we're supposed to live in front of God's people, you know what will take place? We'll have an impact in the world in which we live. And isn't that what it's all about? How do we not just play church and have a good little service on Sunday morning? I like that music, and I like, you know, so-and-so. But how do we take what God has given us and extend that? so that we extend the gospel and expand the kingdom. Would you pray with me today? Father, thank you. You've taught us a lot today. Why do we have so much? So that we have an opportunity to share those resources. Not to just store up, uh, store up here on this earth, but Father, to, to, to make some deposits, some internal investments that will just please you. Father, I'm praying for some resources today that Steve's looking for for this family that's lost everything. Praying today for Cliff for some resources here for, for, a, uh, for a niece that's, that's now moved into the house with them. If there's somebody here that has those resources to share, it's time to quit praying. It's time to start giving. Help us, Father, as a, as a family of believers that are walking in union with you. Help us to more reprioritize our lives on a daily basis. And as we leave this place today, may there be conversations in the car about, God, how do we live in such a way that we bring honor to you? Help us to live out our faith so that we can live a legacy of faith and we can impact this world for Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.